So we've come to the end of our series, and uh, we've been looking, for any of those that are visiting today, we've been looking at the reality of 1 Peter, and he was sharing with the early church that were under the threat of persecution, that he was sharing with them that they were only resident aliens, they were only people who were passing through this world. We know Paul and others have said that our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so in this world, we are passing through. But First Peter, remember we talked about to encourage, the beginning weeks, to encourage is what? To give each other courage in these days. And so this has been culminating through these weeks. And now we're coming at this end before we, next week, move into the first Sunday of Advent. And I have called this a message, get your house in order. Get your house in order. The reality is that if, and here's a hard question, but we need to think about this. If we thought King Jesus was coming back really soon, would that change the way that I live today? Would that change the way and how I live? I, I remember when my brother, my baby brother, when we were teenagers, and we were old enough now to be left home alone, Right? You know, when you kind of graduate to that, you're 12, and all of a sudden they can leave you home alone. Well, we'd get in some pretty bad fights when the parents weren't there. I remember one time hitting my brother over the head with an iron frying pan. I was so angry with them. Not good, not good. Don't do that at home. Anyone listening, don't do that at home. But I remember, you know, you would, you'd be there for the day, and they would gone off somewhere to visit somebody or whatever, and you wouldn't do a thing. But then you'd think, uh-oh, they're coming, and so I guess I better get the house cleaned up. And you'd run around like a chicken with your head cut off because you didn't do anything the whole day, and now you knew they were coming home. I remember one time, though, it got even worse because now we were old enough that the parents would go for days. And my brother and I would be left home alone for days. And I mean, I don't know how two teenagers can make a house look so bad, but we would make it look really, really bad. And then there was the massive cleanup. Uh-oh, they're coming home, so we better get this all cleaned up. Do you know what happened though sometimes? And you know exactly what I'm going to say. They actually came home early and caught us in our mess. Man, were we ever in trouble, right? And so I say all that because we had to get the house in order. And it's time, my friends, to get your house in order. I, I believe that's what Peter was saying to the early church. And I believe in times like this, this is what God is saying to us today. I believe that as I put the series together, I knew what the last message was going to be. And I knew what I had to share today with the body of Christ. <coughs> But I have to ask a hard question today before we even move on. Because 1 Peter is written to the church. It's, it's written to, now we're not talking written to a building. We're talking about written to people. And it's written to people in such a way that that is the ones, the called out ones, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. They have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so in order before you can even get there to say, is your house in order as a believer, you need to be a believer. You need to be a person who has your house in order spiritually. You need to be able to say to me, Pastor, I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I know and have accepted the fact that he died 
died on that cross for me. And he died for my sins. And I have repented of my sins. And I have accepted him as my king, as my savior, as my Lord. Because you cannot even understand what First Peter is saying here if you don't know him personally and know that your spiritual house, your heart, has been made right with God. You know, one of the classic examples, as I was preparing this message, there were several things that was coming to me from Scripture, but I couldn't help but think about the parable of the ten virgins. Do you remember that? The parable of the ten virgins, and there were the wise virgins and the foolish ones. And see, what happened was, when the bridegroom came, the bride and her friends would gather and wait for the bridegroom to come with his family at a distance. And they would come, if they came at night, they would come with lights down that road. And people would begin to shout in the town, especially if they got married from one village to the other. The bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. So they would know now that the bride was coming. And so if you wanted to go out with the bridegroom and his party and go into the wedding feast, you had your lamps lit and you would walk and become part of the procession. Now, like any young single girls, they were waiting for all those friends of the bridegroom to show up as well. <laughs> and so the story that Jesus is telling is common of the wedding ceremonies, not so much of ours today, but it was common in Jesus' day. And so as the bridegroom would come, these girls, these parable that Jesus tells, so they're waiting and waiting, the bridegroom and his party seem to be taking forever. And so there are the five wise ones that have their lamps trimmed and ready, and they're awake. They're paying attention. They're wondering when he's going to come. And the five foolish, what did they do? They didn't have any oil in their lamps. They fell asleep. They just didn't, weren't worried about it. They weren't concerned. And so we know that when the bridegroom comes, as Jesus told this parable in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13, that it is the wise virgins that are ready and their lamps are trimmed and they go with Jesus or the bridegroom and they go into the wedding feast. Meanwhile, the five foolish ones have to run in the middle of the night and try to find oil. You can imagine how long that took. And so when they come to the wedding feast, the door is shut. And so they're knocking on the door. That's what this parable Jesus talks. He says, the kingdom is like this. They're knocking on the door. And they're saying, let us in. We've got our, we've got our oil now. Our lights are lit now. And Jesus says, away from here. I never knew you. That's a powerful parable. That's a powerful parable to say that Jesus was warning people that we need to get our houses in order. We need to be people uh, that have our hearts made right with God so that when the bridegroom comes, we will enter in. But there's another side to this that 1 Peter is dealing with, and he's saying to the church today, you need to be like the wise ones as well, because you need to get your spiritual house in order. You need to have your house in order as the church of Jesus Christ. As we looked, as we talked about the fact that we are these 
uh, resident aliens. Remember back in chapter 2, verse 11, we, where Peter says to them, as aliens and strangers in this world, our citizenship, as we said, is not in heaven. Peter says something pretty profound to start in our passage today that Pastor Mike read. He says in verse 7 of one of the New Living Translations, says, we are coming to the end of all things. Or he says, the end of all things is near. Now, one of the things we need to realize in this day, you hear groups of Christian going, Christians going around saying, the end is coming, the end is coming. Or we're like, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. That is not Peter's purpose here. I just told you about the parable of the ten virgins was about being prepared. But this passage here, Peter is writing to encourage people. And he is writing to encourage people to say the word that's used here for end is goal. The goal is close. The end of your faith and what we're living for and what we're doing and what we're praying for is coming to an end. And so it was said to the early church as a word of encouragement. It was not about destruction. It was about completion. It's about to come. And that's how we, as the body of Christ, should be excited about the Lord. But the things that we've heard, this is nothing new. Because in the New Testament, James said, the coming of the Lord is at hand. John said it this way, it is the last hour. And of course, Jesus himself in the book of Revelation said what? I am coming soon. You know, it's like a timer is counting down. So the truth of it is, if I'm looking at it from that perspective, Peter is saying that I am closer to the coming of the Lord than I was last Sunday. Amen. I am closer to the coming of the Lord than I was yesterday. Because the reality is that in the moment when Christ was born, the end of time has begun. It's interesting, Pastor Mike's scripture last week, <clears throat> 1 Peter 4, 17, this is what... Peter is saying to the church, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. We have no right to go around telling everyone else about God's judgment until we are ready to receive and speak in the house of God about his judgments. How would he look at us today? What would he say about us today? This is what Peter is trying to prepare these early believers that were facing difficult days. That is important for us. To be ready. See, you could say to me, as many people have said, well, Pastor, if I was to take this literally, for 2,000 years we've heard about Jesus coming, and he hasn't come yet. So what are you saying here? Well, I said to you, there's a sense that the consumption of all of history has come and is going to come in a greater way. If we were to look at all of history, right back to creation, to where we are now, Peter and the early church believers were saying that at the birth of Christ, this is what the Magi is about. This is why they come to him. How do they treat him when they come? The king has been born. And so they are saying that this, all of history has come to this epoch, this era of time that we're going to be looking at now in the weeks to come. That Christ has been born. The king is here. The king has taken on our flesh. God has entered into our world. And so we are nearer now to the kingdom of God than we've ever been because the king has arrived. 
and the king is here. History, in history, eternity has invaded our time zone. History, the countdown has begun until his return. And so for every one of us, the Lord is closer at hand. We don't know the hour. We don't know when he will come. But we know the countdown is on. And so I don't know when he'll come in my own life. I don't know when I will meet him. Because it might be that way that I will go. But ultimately, we need to live our lives in such a way that we realize we're living in the shadow of eternity. And we need to get our house in order. We need to get serious about the things of God. So this is what we're dealing with in this passage today. In light of all of this, how are we supposed to live our lives in this knowledge that the end is near? How do Christians live a life in these days? Well, one of the things that he says is you need to preserve your spirituality. And in our passage, uh, in particular, there in verse 7 and 8, and that he goes into this reality that, that we need to be of, of sane mind. We need to be alert. We need to pay attention. We need to be vigilant. It is not time to sleep. It is not time to sleep, my friends. In the house of the Lord. And it isn't time to sleep and through the week, whatever you're doing. Because that shows already by your position that you're okay. And I'm okay and we're all okay and we're going to get there in the morning. Not by what Peter is saying here in this passage. It is those who are vigilant. Those who are paying attention. Those who have their lamps trimmed and are waiting for the bridegroom. And so there are difficult days. We're facing challenging days. But Peter is saying it's time to wake up. It's time to be vigilant. Do you know the actual word here? I couldn't believe this this week because I've had times on the stones at the shore and almost slipped and broke my neck. That's why this is good for me when I heard this. The word vigilant and alert here that Peter uses is like somebody stepping over a river on stepping stones that are full of moss. How would you do that? You wouldn't do it on Shalantan. You would do it very, very carefully. And you would make sure that each foot was planted well before you moved on. That's what Peter is saying here. Now, here we go in the church. Isn't this great? Act soberly. Now, many of you would say, Pastor, you're talking about drugs and you're talking about alcohol. Well, I've got another whole message on that if you want to hear it. And that's why we as the Church of the Nazarene abstain from these things because only the Holy Spirit is supposed to have uh, power and effect on my life, not substances. I don't need substances. I've been down there, done that, no thank you. Amen. Only gets you into a darker and deeper hole. Right. But that's not what Peter's talking about here. Peter is talking about be sober in your temperament. Well, some of us need help with that. Help us, Lord. To be sober in our... <laughs> so he's saying, be sensible. Are you sensible? Not frivolous and irresponsible. You know, we're supposed to have this sobriety of temperament, steady, in the midst of a storm. Not wrath and impulsive. Not going out and doing stupid things. Because you, you can do it and feel like doing it. You know, God is that anchor that holds us in the midst of the storms of life. Not that faith means we have no storms. 
Faith means that I have an anchor that holds me in the midst of the storm. Amen. And now the church, instead of being tossed by every wind of teaching, we're supposed to be like an anchor for the community. Now, how have we done during the pandemic? That's the question we have to ask ourselves in Christianity at large. There have been more people turned off Christianity in these days than ever before by all that they've seen and heard and what, how people acted and reacted and all the foolishness we have seen in these two and a half years plus. And yet we're to be the anchor. Like God is the anchor, God wants the church today to be an anchor, to act sensibly and to be an example for others that they know where to turn in the storms of life. Now, here's a sidebar. You know how the Apostle Paul says, this, does, this is me saying this, this is not the Lord? I'm going to say this coming, moving into Christmas. This is Pastor Ben. This is just my sidebar here. Get your financial house in order. I, I sense we're for a rocky road. I just sense that in my spirit. Pastor Mike and I have talked about that. Now, some might not have any problems whatsoever. But we can already see the issues that are happening and the prices and inflation and there's talk of a recession. And, you know, here we are, and I've seen people, this, this just gets the point across about acting sensibly. So we're at the Christmas 2022, and we haven't had Christmas the last two years the way we wanted to. So that means I can go all out this Christmas, and we're going to have a Christmas that no one will ever forget. And we'll get in debt, and further and further in debt, and we'll give gifts that they don't even want, that we haven't even paid for. Get your financial house in order. Act sensibly. I'm not saying you can't celebrate Christmas, but my friends, I was just thinking about this. I cannot believe how, how people will go out because they can't deal with the weight of it all, they'll go out and do foolish things in these days. And Peter's saying, not so for you in Christ. You need to be people who act soberly and sensibly and set an example for the community around you and your families that are needing someone to guide them through these stormy days. And here we go, it's always there. We spent the whole series talking about this, but he says, love people fervently. Preserve your love. You know, it's so easy in difficult days to just step back. And it's about me and my family and my needs, and that's all I'm going to be concerned about. No, my friends, not for the body of Christ. We are to love more in these days than we ever have before. To show the love of Christ. We don't hide in days like this. We come out with great love and compassion for each other. And guess what he says? One of the ways that you show love. How many times have you heard Pastor Mike and I talk about this? We show hospitality to strangers. And we'll see that in the next part. And so it's important for us to realize that this is the time to show love. And he goes on to say the word that he uses for love here is consistent love. It's not down and up and when I feel like it, but it's that consistent love that stays the same, in season, out of season. Another word for it is constant. And so our love for the brothers and sisters in Christ is constant, and our love for the community and the needs of others is constant. That's what people are looking for from us. And he goes on to say that love is so powerful, what does it do? It covers a multitude of sins. 
I praise God today that his love has covered my sins. I pray that you know his love and how he has covered your sins. And so when I love somebody, I'm willing to what? Forgive them. I'm willing to allow my love to cover the mistakes and the things that they have done that even hurt me. And so Peter is saying, these are serious days. And so if they're serious days, then we need to exercise that kind of love. First, as we talked about in the fall, between brothers and sisters in Christ, and then that love needs to be displayed in all for all to see. He says that the end is near, therefore you are called to serve, to serve faithfully. You know, we get a lot of things go on in these days, and it's interesting to see a lot of people will begin to say, well, not doing that anymore, not doing this. Uh, one of the biggest issues right now is the lack of volunteers. Not just the church, but in, as a whole in the community. They have no volunteers. Nobody is stepping up to volunteer. They don't know what they're going to do. We saw that in the recent elections. Nobody wants to run. Did you notice that? Some areas, I think it was, I won't say which area, PEI, we found out that there's nobody, so they had to put a trustee in charge of that town. Because there's nobody that's willing to care and lead that town through these days. So the leadership has just said thanks, but no thanks. Not so for us as the church. We don't cower, we don't hide. We don't say it's again about, it's about me and my family and my needs. We are, as the Church of Jesus Christ, we set an example to the whole community, Peter says, and we serve. We choose to serve each other. We choose to serve Christ. We choose to serve His kingdom. And he says one of the greatest ways you can serve is by opening your heart, opening up your life, and opening up your home. That's hospitality. And opening it up, as the Bible says, to strangers, not the people you've known for 40 years, but that complete stranger is welcomed into your home. This is how the early church was able to survive through difficult days and persecution, because they opened up their homes to each other, and they built this wonderful network and relationship. And missionaries would be traveling from church to church, and the apostles would be traveling from church to church. And the truth of it is, they would stay in people's homes. People didn't have the money in those days. What's happened to us as a church that we got so comfortable we put people in a hotel? Well, we'll just pay for a room for it if we had an evangelist come or a missionary come. Back in the day, people didn't have a lot of money. What did they do? They opened up their homes. You know, I've heard so many stories of people who have become pastors and missionaries because they remember their home being open to some pastor who came to visit and they shared the gospel and they were an example to them and it changed a child's life. We would open up our home to heroin addicts that would sit at our table with our children. Is it any surprise today that our children still today, and especially our Tina, does ministry upon, around the, the lost and the left out of society because she was taught that as a child. That this is a person of dignity who has maybe a problem, but they're welcome at our table to eat our food with us. We were struggling in Italy. We didn't have a lot of money, but I'll tell you one thing. You can put on a little extra pasta, and that sauce will go a bit further. And there was always, and that's how the church used to live. What has happened to us people? Have we become so now removed from that? 
And now, if we're not careful from a pandemic, we're so even further removed from that. It was wonderful recently, our couples had a progressive dinner. And what was so wonderful about it was the three homes that opened up their door and opened up and shared their table and their food with us. And we all said, what a wonderful night. And see, that's what God has for us as the body of Christ. We are to be good stewards of everything that we have. What's a good steward? A good steward is when somebody is put in the estate of the king. So the king is gone, and stewards now, while he's gone, have been put in charge of his affairs. That's why we call part of our church board stewards. They're put into the affairs of God's church. And so we, Paul, Peter reminds us that we are to be good stewards of everything that God has given us. And so as we end this, we've been saying every week our benediction. Peter closes off his letter with this truth. And we sang about it during our prayer time. And he says to them in that chapter 5, verses 6 to 11, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I don't want anyone to ever think that the church is insensitive or we don't understand that people are going through difficult days. Peter knew that as he was writing to these ones, they were facing all kinds of difficulties. And so he knew it wasn't going to be easy. But he wanted to encourage them to stay firm and stand firm in the faith and to realize that at any time when the burdens became too much, they could give it to God. I like what somebody said. You know, we're living in a day right now, one in five in Canada are suffering mental health issues. And I love what somebody said here. You totally get permission to say you're sort of done taking it. You're done taking the pressure. You're done taking the pounding surf. You're done taking the bills and taking the doctor appointments and taking the deadlines and taking the demands of the kids and all things. And, and if you're honest and you never say it out loud because you keep doing the heroic thing. But you'd love for someone to just take your hand and make an eye on his face and just slip the whole soul flattening weight of everything right off. And guess what? The person says, he does. Today is your day. You don't have to take it today. You don't have to shoulder it today. You don't have to carry it today. The psalmist said it this way, pile your troubles on God's shoulders. He will carry your load. Amen. You categorically do not have to take it all. If you just take one more step and pile the whole thing, everything, all your troubles on God's shoulders, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, Peter says at the end of his letter. And then he says that in words again, doesn't he? He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. What's this thing about a roaring lion? I, I know right now, today, if there was a roaring lion here, I'd be terrified. I would tend to think this whole church would be empty if we had a roaring lion walk in and come into our building today. See, see Peter is saying that the enemy is, 
his bark is louder and worse than his bites. We know that because Christ has already won the victory. But what does he try to make us feel as believers? Fear. And if there's anything that's going to destroy the church in these days, cause us to cower, cause us to fall away from the things of God, and fall away from the faith, it will be fear. And that is the tool of the enemy. And I want to ask you today, what is causing you fear today? So we cast our cares upon Jesus, all our anxieties, and then we have to look at Peter at the end of his letter saying, what are you fearful of? Well, if you're fearful, I want to tell you what to do. Resist the enemy, stand firm in the faith, because you know that others, others, the family of believers throughout the world, is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Worship team, come. So, we live in a day. What are we hearing? I hear all kinds of people come up to me, very smugly as Christians, to be in the coffee shop. We're in the last days, pastors. Want to let you know we're in the last days. Jesus is coming back. Well, I would hope that Jesus was coming back, this church would be full. And it wouldn't be on a Sunday morning, but it would be in a prayer meeting. And we'd be on our knees if we really believed that Jesus was coming back. And so Peter says here, yes, we're in the last days. The end is near. It's been going on for 2,000 years. We're not sure when the Lord will come, but there's going to be that culmination. There's going to be that goal that we've been working so hard towards. Whether I go to see the Lord first, and then, and, and then, you know, we have the great resurrection and we come forth in the judgment day. Or whether that judgment day comes before I pass away. I know that that goal of my faith that I've been working for and praying for and doing my best, best to follow Jesus will be worth it all when I see Jesus. And so that should encourage us. Remember I said the enemy uses fear? We're not supposed to be using fear. We're supposed to be showing people how excited we are, and we're supposed to be living a life that would be an example for others, and we've got our house in order for the Lord's return. And so he says, be serious and stable and keep your wits about you in order that you'll be ready to pray with perseverance. Not like my brother and I scrambling at the last minute, waiting for my parents to come home, and then hoping we don't get caught. We should be always ready for the Lord's return. I end with this story, a very short story. In 1959, the late Queen of England visited Chicago. Elaborate preparations were made for her visit. The waterfront was ready for docking her yacht there. I mentioned that would be quite a scene. Even the garbage baskets were painted, and a red carpet was rolled out, and many areas of the downtown and the hotels were working so hard to get ready for the queen who was coming. But then they contacted the Drake, the hotel, where the queen was supposed to be coming there, and they talked to the manager, and the manager said, listen to what he said, we are making no plans for the queen. Our rooms are always ready for royalty. I'll let that go. Think about it. We are making no new plans for the arrival of the king, because my house is in order for his arrival at any day and any moment. 
As the old statements used to say years ago in the South, I stays ready. Are you ready today for his return? The judgment starts first in the house of God. How have you been doing with your Christian disciplines? How have you been doing with the example of love and staying of sober temperament and serving hospitality and opening your life to others? But then I want to challenge you today. Are you ready to see the king? Has your heart been made right with him? If you pillowed your head tonight and didn't wake up tomorrow and were ushered as my mother was into the presence of the king, would you be ready? And yet he's paid everything for you. He's made everything that you need. The king has done everything possible to make a way for you to be ready to see him face to face. He paid for it with his precious blood. He came out the other side of that tomb so you no longer have to face death without hope. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he now today intercedes for us and prays for us as our high priest. And when we mess up, he says, oh God, would you forgive him? I just put my blood on that again. And he intercedes for us. And then he's coming back for us. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And he's coming back for us. Jesus has done everything for you that your house can be ready for the king. But it has to be up to you. Whether we're not a believer and it's time to make our hearts right with the Lord, or whether we are a believer and we've been tired and we've been struggling for the last two and a half, almost three years with the pandemic, Maybe the enemy has been speaking fear into you today. I don't know what you're going through, but I pray as we sing this song, if you need to do business with God today, I ask you to come and stand at the front. And we're not going to come and hear about all the details. God knows that. But we want to pray for you today. This is a house of prayer. God said that his place would not be a place of worship and concerts and all those things which are important. That his house would be what? A house of prayer. For the nations. And so I want to encourage you today, before we go out into a new week, I want to pray for you. I think we should pray for each other. Let's sing this song, and if you need to do business with God today, I encourage you to come.